Back in 2016, I was driving down Texas Avenue on my way to St. Thomas Episcopal Church for a Boy Scout meeting. And I was listening to Fresh Air with Terry Gross, as I usually did when I was going to scout meetings. And Terry Gross was interviewing the playwright Edward Albee. Edward Albee is most famous for his play, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Mike Nichols made a movie of it with Elizabeth Taylor and just escaped me. Richard Burton, thank you. Yes, Richard Burton. Now, near the end of this interview, Terry Gross asked uh, Edward Albee, do you go to the theater a lot? And he said, oh, sure, far more than I want to. And then Gross asked, well, then why do you go? And Albee said something that has stayed with me ever since. He said, I go there expecting enlightenment and a miracle. I go there expecting enlightenment and a miracle. Now, I don't have much experience going to the theater, uh, but I feel that way about some movies I have seen and some books I've read. They were miraculous experiences. And so I can imagine what Albie was, was talking about. And I wondered then, and I wonder now, whether we have the same expectation about going to church, about worshiping, that when we walk through these doors on Sunday mornings that we... Do we expect enlightenment and a miracle to happen? See some heads nodding. Good, good, good. Well, Bishop, Bishop Claude Payne, the former Bishop of Texas, used to talk about the need for churches to be communities of miraculous expectation. And indeed, as a church, we are a community of miraculous expectation. Because Sunday after Sunday, when we take bread and wine, we place it on the altar, Pray over them, asking God to make them the body and blood of Christ. And we expect by consuming this consecrated bread and wine that Christ will dwell in us and we in him. That's expecting something miraculous to happen. And I can't imagine that the Syrophoenician woman and the friends of the deaf man who they brought to Jesus, that they didn't have an expectation that Jesus would do something miraculous when they met him. The Syrophoenician woman, whose daughter had an unclean spirit, found Jesus and begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And then he said something harsh to her, something hard to explain. Uh, he said, let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Meaning, metaphorically, that Jesus' mission was to, to the children of Israel first. And above all, and not to Gentiles or dogs like her and her people. But she answered him, Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And here, the Syrophoenician woman is an example of what the poet Maya Angelou once said. She said, I learned a long time ago the wisest thing I can do is to be my own advocate for myself and for others like me. You know, the Syrophoenician woman advocated for herself and for her daughter. And in response, Jesus said, For saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. And so as that says that she went home, found her daughter lying on the bed, and the demon gone. That's miraculous. Not only that the demon was gone, but that the Gentile woman bested Jesus in an argument. Nowhere else in the Gospels does anyone ever best Jesus in an argument. And she opened to Jesus to see that his mission could be directed not just to the children of Israel, but to Gentiles as well. And we know from history 
that indeed the Jesus movement within Judaism expanded and started and began to include Gentiles. Well, then after that, the deaf man who had an impediment in his speech was brought to Jesus by his friends and they begged Jesus to lay, hand, lay a hand on him. And so Jesus took the man aside and using some usual Greco-Roman healing techniques, he put his finger into his ears, he spat and touched his tongue. And then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to the man, be opened. He said, Ephatha, which means be opened. And immediately the man's ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Well, through this miracle, the, the man is restored to wholeness. The man's friend's expectation of the miraculous is met by Jesus' action. And I think what we can take away from this story, or these two stories, is that maybe we need to be more like the Syrophoenician woman and the deaf man's friends to expect the miraculous to occur. But in our 21st century distrust, skepticism, and cynicism, it is sometimes difficult to believe in miracles and the miraculous. But in our distrust, skepticism, and cynicism, we are probably, and I'm sure, confident that we are missing out on the miraculous. And so, like Jesus and like the man, we need to be opened up to what is going on around us. Now, as many of you know, my youngest son and I went on a 70-mile backpacking trek to Philmont Scout Ranch back in 2019. All three of my sons have taken such a trek at Philmont, and I had the fortune of going uh, one time with one of them. And one day on this, on this trek, we hiked up a very steep mountain called Black Mountain, probably 10,000, 11,000 feet in elevation, but very steep. And some members of our crew, uh, who are members of St. Andrews, were uh, were experiencing altitude sickness. Some were nursing injuries, and after hours of hiking, and having to pause for lightning at one point, we finally made it to the peak. And after a rest, we started back down the mountain, and the trail, as it was steep going up, it was steep going down. And I had a 50-pound backpack on my back, and to ease the load from one of our Altitude 6 scouts, I had a, I had a tent under one arm, and I was carrying one of our two cooking pots. And it was a tense and frustrating hike down because I kept slipping over and over again because the, the, the trail was wet and muddy. And at one point, I fell down, and in a moment of frustration, I slung the bucket to the ground and uttered some things that clergy shouldn't say, <laughs> especially in the company of another scout who was nearby. But then the scout and I watched the pot start tumbling down the mountain. And at one point it seemed like it would stop where we could get it, but then it tipped over and, and, and disappeared out of sight. It was, only one, it was one of our two pots. It was an important part of our equipment. Our meal process depended on having two pots. And I don't know if we could, I didn't know, I didn't know if we could find it or we could get another one somewhere on the trail. And so I felt real bad about what I had done in this fit of anger. Well, eventually one of the other adult leaders on the trek arrived at the scene along with his son and I sheepishly told them what had happened and Richard, the adult leader, uh, in a very committed Roman Catholic asked his son Luke, Luke, what do we do when we have lost something? And Luke said, we pray to Saint Anthony, the saint of lost things. And so Richard asked me if I minded if we prayed to Saint Anthony and I said, 
fine with me. And I thought, what could it hurt? So Richard clasped his hands together, bowed his head, and prayed, Dear St. Anthony, we have lost our cooking pot. Will you and our Father in heaven help us find it? Amen, he said. So that Luke went on ahead with the other scout, and Richard and I continued to make our way down the trail. And about 30 minutes later, we heard some hollering coming up from below us. And sure enough, Luke and another scout saw the pot lying off the trail and were able to retrieve it. The lost pot had been found, and I experienced a, a big moment of relief. Was the fact that we found the pot pure luck? Was it an answer to this prayer? Was it a miraculous event? You know, the pot tumbled a long ways down and came to a place where it could be seen and retrieved. And I'm not one who believes in praying for parking spots or frivolous things like that, but I am, I am glad we prayed to find that pot. My friend and his son expected God to do something, and maybe that made a difference. And expecting the miraculous to happen is something Christians do. It doesn't mean that we are irrational or anti-science, but we expect miracles. We are not irrational or anti-science. We take science seriously. We believe that God works through any number of means, including medicine and science, to fulfill God's purposes, and that through these things, or things like them, God reverses conditions that are contrary to God's purposes. Now, that's what Jesus' miracles do. They reverse conditions like hunger, blindness, deafness, sickness, demon possession, all these things that are contrary to God, to human flourishing. And often, these miracles of Jesus relieve people from the isolation that these conditions cause. And in the end, Jesus restores people to God's original intention for creation. And after Jesus healed the deaf man, the people all exclaimed. They said, he has done everything well. Which is similar to what is described in the first chapter of Genesis, where after God created everything, Genesis says that God saw everything that he had created, and indeed, it was very good. My goal every Sunday is that we create the conditions in which those who enter into this sacred space can expect enlightenment and a miracle. And we as a church are a community of miraculous expectation. And if we can be open, leaving behind preconceived notions, our mistrust, distrust, and cynicism, we can expect God to do the miraculous, not just here, but more so in our lives. And when those miraculous things happen, as they will, I hope we can give thanks and rejoice, saying, God has done everything well. Amen.